Let's do a little exercise. Wherever you are right now, listening to this podcast, close your eyes. Think back. Imagine, if you weren't there, imagine what it was like in the past. Go back five years, 2010. Go back 10 years, 2005. Go back 20 years. Go back 25 years. The world, just as it is now, was a very busy place. But there were, of course, countries and companies and cars and cows, just like today. Things were changing, right? They're always changing. So at some point, wherever you live in the world, someone with some resources or maybe the authority to do so would propose a plan for something new, some creation or focus, and they would do it in the name of improving things, creating or changing for the better. They would sometimes tell you that plan wherever you live. They would show the numbers, the statistics, illustrating how good it would be for you and your neighbors, and how you can be confident about this investment and the results that are to come. In some parts of the world, they would just do it. Never mind what you think. Never mind showing it to you. In other places, they might propose the plan. There might even be a referendum, just like today. It happened back then. It still happens today. But one difference is, nowadays, there are people and there are tools who are coming together, who are finding each other, and changing this formula. People like coders, maybe you're a coder, artists, maybe you're an artist, journalists, concerned citizens, they're getting together nowadays and they're challenging the old idea of proposing a plan or just doing it and changing your neighborhood, claiming that it's for the best. This movement is called civic tech, although not everybody knows the name. And these things are happening all over the world, including places like Berlin. To better explain what's going on, including in Berlin, we have two special guests today from the Code for Germany project, Fiona Krakenberger and Julia Kloiber, two individuals that are very important in the bigger discussion about civic tech and changes in the world. Also, later in the podcast, a big announcement you'll want to hear about. But first, open your eyes. From Wikimedia Deutschland, I'm Mark Fonseca-Rendeiro, and this is Source Code Berlin. To kick off the topic of civic tech and code for Germany, I started by sitting down with my friend Fiona Krakenberger in a Kreuzberg cafe one morning. I've known Fiona for several years from various hacker-slash-society events in Berlin. As a digital ethnologist, she's long been an active observer and a participant in the world of programming and education and connecting these things with societal issues. Now, since 2014, she's been busy spearheading, together with Julia Kloiber, the Code for Germany project. And as this lunch crowd started to arrive, and you will hear them, we started on the topic, beginning with the classic question, what is Code for Germany and how does it all work? So, yeah, there we go to the mission statement or <laughs> elevator pitch that I'm supposed to be practicing more. Um, Code for Germany is a program that mostly aims at, I would say, um, influencing the public discussion about open data and transparency in Germany in a positive way. And um, we've been discussing this for quite a while and we feel like hey, what we need right now is not even more discussion and talking and getting to know each other and what we want, our motivations, but actually producing arguments like in a practical way. So using that using the open data sets that are there, producing something tangible, something that is um, useful and makes sense and showing and proving, hey, open data is a good thing and it affects everybody, it can be useful for everybody and we're going to use it. So what we started the program with was 
a network of a community. So that's what we started with last year in February for International Open Data Day. It's an event that is organized by an international community, very decentralized, and we participated in it. And we, the Open Knowledge Foundation actually asked their community that was already existent, hey, who wants to start something in their city? And that's how the OK Labs were launched for the International Open Data Day. And we started with eight cities. And that's, at the moment, the most prominent part of Code for Germany are the OK Labs, so the network. Um, the OK Labs are regional groups that meet on a regular basis in their cities, and they work practically with open data. So it's designers, journalists, developers, or just open data enthusiasts that want to make a statement about it. <laughs> Seemingly, the, so the OK Lab network has been growing a lot since then, and we figured, hey, it's really, there's a incredibly fertile ground for this idea because people are in their cities are just kind of waiting for this kind of initiative to actually use their skills for something positive and I think it has two sides on the one hand yes we are working with open data and we are trying to make a point we are um, getting together and connecting people making initiatives visible but on the other hand it's also about civic technology so um, it's also about hey we're not um, trying to Of course, we are labs, you know, we are experimenting with different technologies, but we are also aiming at using it for a greater good, for improving our cities, for improving society and how we deal with each other and how we live with each other and also um, improving partici or making participation possible and um, enhancing transparency in the cities. As you may have already gathered, when we talk about Code for Germany, we're actually talking about many smaller groups of people all over the country, in this case, building specific applications, using public information. And knowing that Fiona gets to visit so many of these OK Labs, I was curious to hear the details of some of her more favorite projects out there. So we've got a... Uh, a bunch of projects developed during the last year because we've now got 18 OK Labs that work regularly and um, one of the most um, one of my favorite projects is probably the application Kleiner Spatz, so Little Sparrow. It comes from Ulm and the OK Lab Ulm and I think it's nice because it's such an everyday life example of how to find a solution. So what they thought was if you're um, If you become a parent, you get you get a child. At one point, you need to find a daycare facility or childcare facility for your for your children. And um, the city actually offers a list of childcare facilities on their website, but it's not very adjusted to the use case. So what you want to do is actually finding um, a, a kindergarten, for example, close to your work to, uh, or to your home. Mm -hmm. um, so what they did was they scraped the website and they put it on a map. And on this map, you can um, instantly see, okay, where's the free space for my child below three years of age or over three years of age? Are they free or not? And if they are, and if they're convenient concerning the location, you can instantly contact them with a form. Mm. So um, that's a huge adjustment to the actual needs of people. And it's not just offering a solution, but first it's listening to, okay, what's the problem? What's the challenge? Mm -hmm. um, so that's a very easy thing that was done and it's being redeployed a lot in different cities which is also nice because all the projects we are working on are usually open source and on GitHub so what you do, you redeploy it, you take the code, you enter your own data set and then you redeploy it for your city um, another one that I really like and which I think shows another example of um, how can civic technology enhance not only solve everyday problems but also enhance participation is um, something that Stefan Wehrmeier, also a colleague of mine from the Open Knowledge Foundation, um, developed in the OK Lab Berlin. So last year we had a referendum about the um, Tempelhofer Flughafen, so the, I don't know if you've ever been there, but in Germany, in Berlin, we used to have a big airport, Tempelhof, and it was closed down. And um, instead of building a lot of expensive town uh, lofts and houses on it, um, it's being used as a huge park at the moment, which has very, very positive side effects on climate and um, also the neighborhood, and it's huge, it's really, really big. Um, And there were plans by the Senate to use part of, or some part of the area of the, we call it um, Tempo der Freiheit. Um, but there were also opposing voices that said, well, it's never going to be um, a way of building houses that are affordable for people. It's going to be really expensive and we want to keep it the way it is. It, it enhances a lot of freedom for the people living nearby. Um, so 
there were plans by the Senate and opposing plans. The funny thing is that both of them had very, very similar wording, so they didn't sound very much different. You know, you want to use it for the people, by the people, and so on. So what Stefan did, he's living very close to the park, um, is he took the plans and he visualized them in a um, basically with a not with a map, but he did a visualization of the field and the plans. So whatever houses were going to be built, he put it on a on a. He made it more tangible and visible on a in a visualization, and um, he cooperated then with a Berlin newspaper, the Morgenpost, and they did a 3D visualization. And it was very handy because you could go um, on the website and then see a certain part where, for example, houses were going to be built or a huge library. You could click on that, and you could instantly see the pros and then the cons from the opposite region. And that was shortly before the referendum, because the people in Berlin were supposed to decide on what um, concept do they want to have. And the idea of this was, so let's inform the people so they can make a more a better informed decision about it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also actually at the moment being redeployed in another city where there are plans for restructuring the city or the inner city in a very um, fundamental way and they're trying to make, inform people, make it more tangible and visible. I started today by asking you, the listener, to think back to when we didn't have the tools that we have today for gathering data or organizing it in interesting ways. Now here we have Code for Germany, a major example of a project that with the skills and commitment of its volunteers seems to be challenging the old formula where people in power say, here's the plan, we know what's best for you, and deal with it. I think so. And I, and I think it's taking part in a very fundamental change in urban development because um, lessons have been learned and I think what's important for the future in urban planning and in cities is, um, as far as I know, there's a huge change at the moment towards, hey, actually the people living in the cities are the experts, we should consult them, we should um, uh, create tools that make, them, make, it, make people able to participate. There's also another app uh, from web application from Berlin. It's called Bürgerbautstadt, Citizen Built City. Um, and there you can see whenever there are um, plans on, on building, um, I don't know, for example, shopping malls or restructuring streets, um, making changes in the city, um, you are supposed to, or it's, it's a law um, that you have to show your plans publicly mm -hmm. in a town hall, for example. And Bürgerbautstadt makes it possible for you to see where in my vicinity, in my neighborhood, are plans currently laid out so that I can go there and actually give feedback. And as far as I know, at the moment, Berlin and maybe two other states in Germany are working on a, on a digital tool for that. So... <clears throat> so that you wouldn't have to go there anymore into the tunnel, which nobody does, um, <laughs> but instead you can insert your um, feedback digitally. There are different levels of how you can change problems, solve them or tackle them. Um, but I think, yeah, it's a, it's a very important beginning because I think it's in the interest of different parties that you get some feedback of the people living there. Um, if they are going to use whatever space you're creating or not and um, yeah but I think sure we need to work a little bit on that finding metrics of and, and measuring how this actually affects how urban development is being planned but I think uh, telling from the fact that there's a huge overall change at the moment I think it's an important development and it's contributing to that. So how did this happen? Surely civic engagement, public data, even visualizations existed before the code project. What was the groundwork for the foundation that led to this? And, and, and why was what we had not enough? What it's built on is what the Open Knowledge Foundation has been doing the last year. So um, that's also where the idea stems from. We've been organizing um, tons of hackathons. So hackathons are a cool format. Um, high qualified people come together and they build prototypes, they build ideas, they develop something. Um, but the problem is it's um, concerning space and, and, and time, it's restricted. You know, after two days, um, those gorgeous people that come together and build something together, they go home. Yeah. Uh, they go... Um, they might not be talking to each other again, but 
of course, if you do a software project, it, it needs more sustainability. So that's what we've been doing with Coffee Germany is making a sustainable format of the hackathons or hack days that we've been organizing. Um, and we've been contacting all the people that have been participating in the hackathons and asked, so do you want to start something? And we've got um, feedback from eight cities and we started with them in February 2014 and now it's February 2015 and we've got 18 labs so from different cities 10, 10 initiatives contacted us and said hey this is a cool project we want to start something too we want to get together with people I know there are people in my city that are interested in open data they want to work with it I know developers I know designers and journalists and we want to start something yeah. so people have been really really welcoming for this format and it's working out great I mean in every lab there's probably about 10 to 20 people meeting every second week or every week and they get together for some hours and they code yeah. or then hack or they design and they write stories and they're doing events, hackathons, workshops for people and um, most importantly they also get in contact with their cities, they invite officials, they invite um, people from the government, from the administration and yeah they get in contact and I think it's great to see that development because now um, there's actually contact being made and people talk to each other and we figure, hey, people from the government, they also want to do, ha also want to have more transparency and the people from the government figure, oh, they're not evil hackers, we can actually trust them, they're doing good things with our data. Right. And, um, and the thing is also, I think it often happens that, for example, a city has an open data portal and they insert some data sets, but maybe not the juicy ones that are really interesting for the city. So now there's more exchange and we can actually communicate about, okay, what data sets do we want? So does it actually, is it worth it for you to put into, to, to uh, publish this data set or not? Mm. On the other hand, of course, um, there are different examples. For example, Hamburg, which has a transparency law, hmm. and it means that all the administrations and governments are proactively publishing all the data. Yeah. And that's, of course, a different format that we also are very fond of. Yeah. And we wish every state would have it, but we're working on it. It was the historian and philosopher Thomas Carlyle back in the 1700s that coined the term the fourth estate uh, in terms of the press being this force that beyond the institutional branches of government that would keep supposed to keep things in check, that the press would be this other force, the fourth estate. The kind of civic tech project we're looking at here, it sounds like a new frontier in the fourth estate, keeping pressure or or keeping a check on government policy? I think it's about trust um, a lot. I think it's about um, enabling them to trust volunteers, the community, to do something positive with data and about a proof of concept and showing, hey, this can be evolved into something very positive. And I think there are so many attempts by different parties to enable participation and to ask citizens to participate but um, this doesn't work if you don't have a constant feedback loop with your citizens and you get in contact with them and ask so, so how do you want to participate what do you need to participate and how can we um, um, yeah, encourage you to participate and I think it's important the broader you, you are the more power you have and um, I think if government officials get together with people from the community with developers or designers and we actually make a tool that really people use for participation um, then it's a success for every party. Looking specifically at the, the OK Labs and, and other parts of this, it reminds me of the hackerspace movement, which between 2008 and 2012 seemed to spread to every corner of the world and, and continues to now. Places where people would go to share ideas, to use specialized tools, to socialize. Is this the new movement after hackerspaces? Actually, I think we are talking about um, people that get together and that share a common interest. Um, but in fact, it's important to, to, to mention that they do meet physically. Yeah. And that's also the idea of it, that they have a sustainable 
um, farmers and they meet, for example, every second week. Some of them, in fact, do meet in hacker spaces because they're affiliated with the Case Computer Club, for example. Mm. And of course, they need a space to meet. Um, the OK Lab Berlin for, uh, meets at uh, Wikimedia, yes. in fact, uh, which is really nice because they give us their one of their rooms every single week on Mondays. We meet there for three hours in the evening, yes. so people come there after work, and we might have a beer or a drink, and yeah, we we call together on our projects. So in Berlin, we meet every week. Mm -hmm. Others meet um, once a month or every second week, and they meet in in very different spaces. Some meet in co-working spaces, some meet in offices, some of them meet in hacker spaces. And um, yeah, I think those meetings are usually very, very open and very inclusive. So most of the labs are really um, trying to um, persuade more people to come and try to teach people to work with data. Um, Because there are more and more tools emerging, actually, that make it very easy for you to work with data, even if you're a non-coder. For example, Mapbox and um, is a tool that you can use where you can basically you insert your data and a gorgeous map comes out. <laughs> but um, of course, sometimes you need some programming. But I'm I'm not a super expert programmer, and I did already one or two projects. So um, yeah, but I, of course, I did it with the help of other people from the lab, and that's also the idea. And um, we are, in, in fact, we are really aiming at um, making our labs more diverse. We do have a majority of um, developers, um, but we feel like we are, we want to tackle the specific challenges of our city, and there's no way that we as developers know what's most pressing in the city. So we try to get more people, we do, um, maybe designers, develop, um, or, or journalists, or people from NGOs or clubs to come in and, and give us some input. I hear journalists often mentioned as part of the special formula for Code for Germany. In many ways, having them involved seems to help take all this important information and visualizations and, and all the other results and connecting them with the elusive average citizen. I'm holding my fingers up in air quotes. Definitely. I think that comes two ways. So on the one hand, we need to know what are, you know, It's like this, hey, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So we want to prevent that. Um, we want to t keep in mind, hey, there are also screwdrivers and, and different things. So what we want to do is not um, thinking about, hey, we've got this data set um, open and we've got this tool, so let's create a solution for a problem we are making up. You, you know, we want to prevent that. So what we want to do is actually first finding out what are problems and challenges in our city and how can we contribute something, how can we help people to tackle this problem um, or even find a solution. Um, so for that reason, it's important to get some input maybe from journalists that know about the stories in the city, that know about the people in the city much better than we might do. But it's also important to have people from NGOs that are dealing with a specific topic or people that are politically active. And then we work on this project, we try to find a solution, make a visualization or make an application. And um, then the third step is to communicate and to find a user base, maybe, mm -hmm. or um, actually making it accessible to people. And um, for that, it has been, it turned out to be really helpful to work together with media, with um, local newspapers especially. Um, so some of the labs are already doing that. Hamburg has a long tradition of data journalism, mm -hmm. and a lot of data journalists are based in Hamburg. Yeah. In Heilbronn, the OK Lab has been working together with the Heilbronner Stimme, And two of the um, journalists are um, regularly visiting the OK Lab and working together with the people and do data journalism, for example, on the quality of the drinking water, which was a huge success story because there's this really nice app from Heilbronn. It's called Was ist in meinem Trinkwasser? What's in my drinking water? What's in my tap water? Mm -hmm. And it, um, it's a really nice website where you can see the um, current data on, your, on the drinking water in your, um, in your Bezirk, so in your commune. And um, or the, or the, uh, the hood you're living in, and um, you can, and it's being compared to um, average values. And what does it actually mean if I have a lot of kalium or uh, in my in my water? Or what does it mean if my water is hard or rather soft? Um, and it had the effect that um, some 
uh, organization actually made a statement about this because the values of the water was too high or too low concerning some things. And um, now the um, organizations, I don't know how to call it, that, um, that uh, filter the water or that provide the water. Um, the utilities are actually calling them and asking how can we update our data because it has changed. You know, So they're now practically trying to um, update the data. So now they're use, working on a something like an interface where they can update the data themselves. And I think this project, for example, it's really nice to have it in your own city and it's being redeployed in Cologne, I think. Um, but it gets really interesting in, when you look at the international context. How can you use maybe this web application for different countries where uh, water quality is a really pressing issue? And um, yeah. So those have been working together with journalists, which had a great effect. And um, yeah, and also in other cities, we are regularly seeing that especially local newspapers love to or are really eager on um, cooperating because they might lack the technical skills. We might lack the knowledge of about what are challenges in our city. Compared to many countries in the world where democracy and accountability is not a priority, Germany seems like the right place for a project that relies on civic data or, or public information. Mm, the opinions, they differ a lot about what's our status in Germany. So, of course, in Hamburg, we've got the transparency law. Um, in other states, in, in 11 states, I think, you've got the Freedom of Information Act or Freedom of Information Law. It means you can ask for a data set and you might get it. Um, yeah, uh, so that's something where we... Of course, if you compare us to some countries, we are very progressive, but if you compare us to others, we aren't at all. So there's a lot of work to be done. And especially, I think, as far as I know, one of the problems is that if you have, if the city offers an open data portal and publishes information, those are usually not the exciting ones. So you have to go, then you have to ask again. And not to forget, there are some states in Germany that don't have a freedom of information law. So there's no chance for you at all to get anything. Um, so, um, but we do have some insights or we do get some different perspectives from uh, other countries because Cover Germany is actually part of an international network and it was, the, the idea basically stems from the States where you've got Code for America, which is a huge organization. It's been, it's been there for five years, I think, mm -hmm. and they've got so many um, different chapters. So they've got also okay left, but they call them brigades, which was uh, <laughs> difficult to translate into German. Yeah. Um, but they've got them in, in, in a lot of cities, and they're working very, very um, tightly with government officials, and there are actually people from the okay lips being kind of hired to work together with the government for a year in a group and help them to, um, to build participatory uh, tools or digital tools for government uh, and communication between citizens and governments. Um, so they founded this, kind of founded this network code for all two years ago and Code for Germany is one of the mem uh, founding members of it. But we've also got code for the Caribbean, code for Poland, code for Japan, code for Seoul um, and code for Ireland, I think. And it's, it's great. I met them last year at the Code for America Summit in San Francisco, and it was great to see. Okay, we are, we are basically working um, with kind of the same aims, or we use this kind of the same tools and ways, but the issues are very different. Cover the Caribbeans, for example, have been working on an app, Where's My Cow?, in order to track your cow, because um, uh, theft in agriculture is a big thing there, and if somebody steals 30 of your cows in the night, the basis for your existence is basically gone. So they're working out together with the state on an app with which you can track your cow. At this point, the connection light bulb is going off in my brain. If you think about it, on this program, we've talked about changes in Berlin and the good things that come with those changes and the bad side as well. The topic of gentrification and Richard Florida's creative class has come up on multiple occasions. It seems like, especially if we zoom in on Berlin now as a major example of this, uh, if, if we consider the Tempelhof referendum, the debate over whether or not to develop open space or keep it as a public park. It seems like you guys are right there in the middle of this changing city issue and all the money and all the emotion surrounding it and that it's happening in Berlin, but also all over the world. Now what we are doing, we are enabling participation by providing information um, and 
by doing this we are certainly a political actor in this um, but I think there are of course very very pressing issues in Berlin um, and uh, we've got some huge challenges going on at the moment and it might seem peaceful but it's in my eyes it's not so because there are a lot of things are happening already they might happen slowly but that doesn't change that they are happening and in a very um, yeah fundamental way for some people um, but I think what one always has to consider is there's no technical solution for a political problem you know yeah. so what yeah. we are trying to do is mostly informing people about this and I um, for example, in Hamburg, um, the OK Lab was founded on an existing initiative called Mappable, and I really admire the work because what they're doing is a lot about uh, dealing with um, development in, in Hamburg or urban development, and they are using a lot of maps. So actually, that's what, what a lot of Germans like to do. They, we just use a lot of maps, we love maps, and we visualize everything. Um, and what they do is basically using a, a practice that was, um, in a way, if you look back in history, the practice of mapping is incredibly loaded with power. You know, we, we, we divide places, we, we say, okay, whose territory is this? We go, we have the Africa Conference, where you divide the entire continent with a ruler. Um, so mapping has always been a practice that belonged to the powerful people. What we're doing now with um, mapping um, by, by the people for the people and uh, filling up maps with meaning about different things and just to who does this city or this district belong um, I think it's interesting how we're doing something like a how we are contradicting what maps are for. What people in Hamburg also did was mapping um, how many um, doctors do you have in the city, how many medical facilities, and also mapping a data set on the city, what's the distribution of income. And that's where it really gets interesting if you join or um, correlate data sets and um, combine them because then you start telling interesting stories. Um, so I find it, this is probably the um, uh, ethnologist in me talking that likes to talk a lot, but I really feel like this is an interesting development how the practice of mapping is suddenly used to make a statement against power or even oppose powers. And um, it changes, I think, the landscape in a really nice way. Lastly today, the issue that, that so often comes up when, when new projects and good projects are, are, are being talked about, getting found. How do you gain the attention of an audience that might not necessarily want to, or maybe they don't know that they want to learn about the kind of information that you're putting out there? When we talk about data and visualization, visualizing data and um, preparing data, you've got different dimensions of... Um, Power. You know, you have the power to understand data, you have the power to prepare it, you have the power to communicate it um, and to understand it maybe. So we, I think we need to think more about how, how do we present data or communicate data and how do we deal responsibly with our um, power that stems from, you know, talking about this. But I think it's with every whenever you talk about information there's no way you can have all the information but you always have one part of it or you communicate um, some aspects of it and um, yeah and the same goes for governments as well as for citizens so all of us are always um, commuting parts of it communicating parts of it and yeah what we are doing is not saying no this is this is the truth but this is another perspective and um, I think another responsibility that stems from our ability and from our skills is teaching people to understand and um, uh, not understand data, but understand how data is being prepared. So we have to talk about data literacy here. Data literacy. We'll end our conversation on that note. Plenty more to talk about on this issue. Fiona Krakenberger is a researcher and ethnographer who spends much of her time helping develop the Code for Germany project.
You're listening to Source Code Berlin as we keep our focus on the dynamic project known as Code for Germany. We now go to a Skype conversation with Julia Kloiber, who also leads the effort to reach new heights in the world of civic tech. I began by asking her about her role in the Code for Germany project. Um, I'm, I'm the project lead of Code for Germany, and we're now a team of five people. Um, there's people working on community engagement, people who design and um, yeah, work on the website, and then there's people doing fundraising for the project. And yeah, so we're a five-people team. Five people taking on a major task, and of course, with the help of lots of volunteers. I think anyone can imagine being a new project and in the category that you're in, that few people know about, actively trying to engage with not only the public, but also federal and state governments, and they have their long-standing operating procedures. One question I have on this front is, how is Code for Germany received? I mean, what reaction do they get when interacting with these, what I see as slow-to-change bureaucracies? So before we started Code for Germany, like the years when uh, open data was a really new topic, um, city governments um, sometimes, like when we approached them and asked them, can we like um, get data set X, they thought, oh, it's these geeks out there that are like, that that are interested in, in the data. It's not, not the wider public. It's just this geeky audience that wants us to open up data. Um but now, since there's uh, programs like Code for America and there's best practices and success stories and really cool tools uh, that were developed within pro programs like Code for Germany, um, cities are becoming more open. Like they see, wow, there's this community that we can uh, collaborate with. Um, so in some cities, um, city officials, people from within the public administration are joining uh, lab meetups and they're like uh, coming with new ideas, insights, they're bringing data sets to the table. So there's always change agents within the city uh, that we're trying to identify and that we're trying to work with. Find the agents for change, start with them. I like the strategy. Uh, let's turn to the OK Labs. Uh, they seem to be focused on these in-person meetings and, and doing things face-to-face -face as, as you may have experienced. There's also another side to this that I wonder about, maybe it's too soon, but the issue of uh, volunteer burnout or stepping out of a project as people do, uh, not able to be there in person, to, uh, even though that is one of the strengths. How do you face or handle this issue? Um, so what we first of all do is we develop all the projects collaborative on platforms like GitHub. So even if people um, want to join that do not live in a certain city, they can collaborate online and go on with the project. So the code base is basically accessible to everyone. So even if some people get busy because they become um, fathers or mothers or they like move to another city, um, people can go on working with their code bases. And... Yeah, but um, since we are pretty young, um, that's not a problem. We're like we're growing uh, 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 rather than um, than becoming smaller. So yeah, I think that's that's something uh, an issue we might like be dealing with in in the next couple of years. But right now we're um, like not facing this problem. Oh, good. Well, leave it to me to bring up an issue that is not an issue. Uh, let's turn to a different subject. Early in the program, we heard from Fiona Krakenberger, who talked about transparency laws and pointed out that Hamburg, for example, is a state that has them. And on the other hand, Berlin, our dear Berlin, doesn't. And I'm curious, it seems odd when you look at the country that uh, for all its its wonders and all the compliments we can give it, Berlin is not the most progressive place in terms of transparency, but Hamburg is. Uh, how or, or why is that so? Yeah, in Hamburg, there was, um, actually, it was a push from civil society organizations um, at the right time. So when the new mayor, like when, and it, shortly before the elections of the new mayor, so it was, Perfect timing and um, civil society organizations working together on pushing for a transparency law. And I hope that, um, yeah, after like um, having Hamburg as a prime example, other cities like Berlin um, and um, some others like Cologne might follow soon. 
Uh, Yulia, I've seen your TED Talk, which is in English, and I can recommend to everyone. Um, and I know that the sharing of information and experiences is a big part of what you do uh, with Code for Germany. Surely other continents, they have their transparency laws, their civic tech projects in different forms. We heard earlier about the Where's My Cow project from the Caribbean. But I wonder, uh, where do you look to for inspiration? So I'm looking for inspiration on an international level because uh, the UK and the US, they've been pioneers um, in the field of open data. They are much more ahead than we are in Germany. So there you have like better databases to um, or like more open data to work with. So like best practices a lot of the time come from those two countries. But also there's a community called Poplus um, that was started in um, Chile, I think. And it's another like great uh, international civic tech community. Plus there's, um, there's uh, Taiwan and Israel who are super active and who have the biggest uh, civic tech communities worldwide. It's sometimes a bit hard to uh, translate the stuff they're working on. But uh, yeah, I love to also like get inspired by the programs, projects they're doing and working on. There's um, conferences and there's an international network called Code for All um, that meets every once in a while at uh, conferences like the Code for America Summit or other civic tech conferences, um, Wikimania. Um, and yeah, that's how um, knowledge exchange happens within this network. So there's also Code for Japan, Code for Australia, like a really active international community that's uh, united under the like, network Code for All. Let's bring it back to the German context and let's talk money. In an era where funding cuts are a daily buzzword for all institutions, really, how does a daring project that stands in the middle of potentially hot topics and socio-political debates, uh, how do you manage to get funding sources and what are the funding sources? So it was pretty hard to find funding for um, a field like civic tech that's not yet established or like not many foundations, not many funders know um, about civic tech here in Germany. Um, it's not, not as established as in, um, as in the US, for example. So it was pretty hard to find funding for the first year. Um, but uh, Google.org supported us um, for the first year. And for the second year, I'm really like... I'm happy that we now also um, got some um, funding from the Ministry of Science and Education. So they are now like uh, funding the second year, like parts of the second year with, um, uh, we have a citizen science focus this year. So yeah. It seems like a, a great success uh, and, and a difficult path to tread, uh, getting funding from government or private interests who themselves may not like or benefit from the outcome of what you do. Uh, somewhere in there, it sounds like there is a, a danger with this continued success of powerful forces attempting to paint you politically slanted one way or another to discredit you, that, that classic way that uh, uh, powerful forces use sometimes. Uh, but you seem to be safe from all that. It's sometimes like, I mean, there's different... Uh, data out there, different data sets. So it's sometimes more on the political transparency side, but sometimes it's just service data from cities. For example, where's the location of the um, next kindergarten? Or, um, yeah, but sometimes it's also um, more on the political side. Like, um, where is our, or the, what does the, the budget look like? Like, where's our city spending money on? And um, what does a certain construction site cost us? And, um, yeah. So most of the labs, for example, like, work together with um, journalists. Um, so much more, like, they are trying to... It's difficult to say, like, to be on the, like, neutral investigative side of things, but most of the data visualization projects and applications we've seen so far, um, yeah, we're, um, we're trying to um, focus on a more journalistic approach, like trying to um, visualize the data that's out there as um, objective as possible. So, um, yeah, there was no um, 
hidden agenda behind the project so far. So by working with journalists, um, yeah, we, we try to, or like the labs try to, um, yeah, to be multipliers and to make information accessible via tools they build. Yeah, and we're still like in the in the phase where a lot of prototypes are developed. So I think we don't have like the mass audience and reach um, yet to um, yeah to be faced with problems like that. But uh, still, we are um, the labs are a diverse crowd of people. Um, everyone's welcome. Um, people with different political views and backgrounds are welcome. So. Um, yeah, we'll see what uh, projects and visualization will be developed in the next couple of years. But so far, um, we've mainly been working with journalists um, that help us interpret the data because even a good developer um, does not necessarily like bring uh, the skills um, to the table to also um, yeah to also be able to interpret and. Um, yeah, find uh, uh, interesting bits in the data. 2014 featured uh, great media attention and even civic impact uh, growth of the project. I'm wondering what is to come for Code for Germany in 2015? So in 2015, one of our focus areas will be citizen science. Um, the big question, um, how can we not only work with governments, but also with uh, local um, science institutions? What data are they producing? How can we enhance data? How can we enhance data from governments, but also from um, science institutions? For example, um, yeah, air pollution. In some cities, like there's not a lot of uh, stations that measure air pollution. So how can we, with sensors, with crowdsourcing, help to um, yeah create more and uh, a better data on um, yeah for example air pollution, but also um, how can we analyze bike traffic um, better in cities? Um, various questions around um, science and, and cr the crowdsourcing of data and information. There will be bigger hack events in the city, like thematic hack events, where we're trying to um, find more participants for the labs. Um, there will be hopefully also roundtable formats where we bring um, city officials, but also people uh, from within the public administration together with people from the labs. So, um, yeah, for example, focusing around one topic like education and then really like discussing together what data, data is available, like how um, does it um, how is it best made available to the labs and like really bringing the data producers and the, the people who, um, who reuse data together around one table to discuss uh, potential applications. I have to say that uh, so often our discussions on Source Code Berlin revolve around Berlin-centric life and work. And here we find a project that is indeed headquartered and, and busy impacting things in that city, but it's also wonderfully global, daring to uncover information or be inspired by fellow concerned humans anywhere in the world. Absolutely. And I think like one like main part of like building these networks and also like having an international network is um, for me is to not reinvent the wheel over and over again, to share knowledge, to share code bases, to yeah, have an exchange going on, on on various topics because cities all around the globe, they they are facing similar challenges, for example, traffic or pollution are topics that are relevant in cities like Berlin, but also in cities like Calcutta, um, maybe like in, in, in a, like, um, yeah, maybe a bit different, but still, like, I think there's tools that can be reused or redeployed and redeployed in other areas as well. And it's fun to have this exchange and to, like, work on code across like country borders so it's really not about like code for just this one country but about like knowledge exchange on a on a much more global level julia kloiber is project lead for code for germany you can find her work as well as following what the organization is up to at code or on twitter code for de
And now for a special announcement here on the podcast, the first of its kind, this is a call for papers. And what's it a call for? Enthusiastic Con, June 19th to the 21st. Enthusiastic Con, a conference for the programming community, which I think might be you. It's going to be two days of short presentations. We'll talk about what excites us or you about programming, uh, the strange, the wonderful, the clever solutions to unusual problems. Join us to share your enthusiasm with us or listen to what makes fellow programmers beam with joy about this craft. So again, it's June 19th to the 21st. The announcement is up on sourcecode.berlin, and certainly we want you, we're looking for presentations from all areas of programming, so do submit, and let's see, what else should you know? The presentations are short. They're only going to be 10 minutes. That way we keep your attention, and we can cover a lot of issues. It's very exciting, and it's very much tied to what we do here on Berlin. So I'll definitely be there at Enthusiastic Con, once again, in Berlin at Wikimedia, June 19th to the 21st. So you'll be hearing about that again and again as we get closer. But right now, that call for papers is up, and it's a good time to submit. That music means only one thing. It's time to say goodbye, but not before we say, first of all, thank you. To both our guests, Fiona Krakenberger and Yulia Kloiber, you can find links to their work on sourcecode.berlin. You can also go there to hear other programs and subscribe, which is, of course, the best way. Twitter, at SRC Code Berlin. Facebook, just find the name of the program. Music for today's program was by Chad Crouch and Bacalhau, which you can find in the free music archive. Source Code Berlin is a Wikimedia Deutschland production, and this podcast is published under a CCBY SA 4.0 license and edited by me. Now, until next time, I'm Mark Fonseca Rendeiro. Thanks for listening. We are. We are.